Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you today about a hunger for holiness. Wow, what a message to return on. (laughs) But I've been praying and hoping that this season that we've been in, where we've been physically somewhat disconnected, not spiritually, somewhat physically disconnected, when we've not been able to gather together as the people of God in the house of God, I pray that during this time, that maybe the Holy Spirit has been cultivating a hunger, a thirst, a yearning for God, for the Word of God, and for holiness. Because really to hunger for God is to hunger for holiness. And to hunger for the Word of God is to hunger for holiness. Now, I began preaching about four weeks ago from the book of 1 Peter. The Holy Spirit, just as I shared with you at the beginning of the year that the Holy Spirit put the word favor in my heart and in my spirit for this year, for 2020. That a few weeks ago, I felt that same impression that same burden in my spirit to begin to preach and to teach verse by verse through the book of first peter the book of first peter is a book about hope that's why you see this wall with living hope on it today we've been talking about hope but it's about living with hope and living a holy life even in the midst of hostile circumstances Even in the middle of hostile world and a pagan world that we can still live with hope and we can still be holy and we're expected to be. Now, now for those of you that haven't been tuning in for the last few weeks, let me just kind of review a little bit and bring you up to where we are today. The book of 1 Peter, of course, was written by the person whose book the name bears, Peter. Peter that follower of Jesus, who when Jesus first met him, he was a fisher of fish. But after he met Jesus, he laid down his fishing nets and became a fisher of men. And that disciple that struggled so much between the spirit and the flesh, and I think that's why many times Jesus referred to him as Simon Peter, his old name and his new name, because he was continually struggling with his spirit and with his flesh. Is there anybody else here today that ever feel that kind of tension in your life? That kind of a battle in your life? I think when I preached this a few weeks ago, I talked about how that when I was younger, and even now today, if, if I did something out of character, if I was misbehaving, my mother would always snap her fingers and she wouldn't just say Victor, she would say Victor Lane. Boy, you better straighten up. And I knew when I heard Victor Lane, that I was probably in a situation in that moment where I was battling between my spirit and my flesh and not doing real good. And my mom would refer to me as Victor Lane. Well, Jesus many times referred to Peter as Simon Peter. But eventually he got his act together and he became a rock upon which the church that you and I are still a part of today, he became a rock, a part of the rock upon which the church is built and it's Peter that writes this letter 
And he writes to an audience, an audience that he describes with three words. Once he, first of all, we need to understand that he's writing to believers. And here's what he says about these believers that he's writing to. He says, first of all, that they are strangers. They're strangers, one, because they're strange to the world. I mean, when the world, when the pagan world looks at the kind of life that they live, different values, different morals, different behavior, they seem strange to the world. And many times today, you and I probably seem strange. We should seem strange to an unbelieving world because we have different values. We have different morals. And so he refers to them as strangers, not just because they're strange, but also because they are presently living in areas of Rome that are not home to them. They've been taken away. They're exiles. They've been taken from their homes and they've been scattered into, the Bible says, five other different provinces throughout all of Rome. And, And may I just say to you this morning that you and I, we're strangers, not just because we seem strange to the world, we're strangers because this world is not our home. And I think we need to be reminded of that from time to time. We're just passing through. We are on our way to a much better place, a place called heaven. So, so yeah, we're strangers. We're exiles. This is not home for us. And so we need to stop living like this is home for us. Now, I know some people say that we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. I'm concerned we're so earthly minded, we're not any heavenly good. And, 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 and so Peter is talking to these folks, these believers, and he calls them strangers. But not only does he call them strangers, he says that they are scattered throughout five different provinces in Rome. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that you shall receive the Holy Ghost, and after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It has always been the purpose and the plan of God for us to not just gather, but to be scattered. I know that it's been a while since we've been able to come together. It's been a while since we've been able to gather. But the church is not just about gathering the church is not just about a team that, that, that huddles up on Sunday and then doesn't scatter to run the plays. Yes, gathering is a very important thing that we do as the church. And, and, and the Bible even instructs us to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But God's purpose and plan is we gather in order to scatter. Now, we're not real good at doing that on our own. The Bible says that you and I, that we are the salt of the earth. When I preached this message a few weeks ago, I had a little salt container that I used. We know them as salt shakers. Listen, they're not salt shakers. They're salt containers. I'm the shaker. And in order to get the salt out of the container, you have to shake the salt container. And sometimes in order for God to get the salt out of the shaker, he has to shake us. Or out of the container, he has to shake us. I believe that that's what has been going on here for the last several weeks. God has been shaking his church for a good purpose to scatter us. How else is the gospel going to get to those who have never heard the gospel? 
Those who need to hear the gospel are not always going to show up to the gathering. Amen? So therefore, we've got to scatter and we've got to take the gospel to them. And so this was a good thing that they were scattered. They were strangers, they were scattered. And then here's another thing Peter said about them. They were suffering. They were suffering. Now listen, as believers, you and I need to understand there's going to be times when we're going to suffer. Even suffer persecution for our faith. And that's what was happening to these believers. They were suffering persecution. And so here's what Peter does. Peter writes this letter to these people to encourage them. And it's not just a letter to them. It's also a letter that's written to us. It's also an encouragement to you and I today that no matter what season we're going through in our life, no matter what kind of a crisis that we're facing in our lives, that we can be encouraged. And here's, here, here, here's what he does to encourage them. He begins to talk to them about hope. Hope. Because he says this. He says that you, by God's great mercy, he said that you have been given a living hope. You have been given new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, listen to me this morning. If there's one thing that should get us through difficult times, if there's one thing that should get us time, through times of suffering, through times of opposition, whatever it is, it should be the hope that we have. And that's what Peter is hoping here, is that when he talks to them about their hope, that their hope is going to help them get through the difficult times in their lives. He said, you've got to be reminded that you have been born again. You have been given new birth into a living hope. How many of you know this morning, our hope is not dead because our hope is not in dead things. Our hope is living because our Savior lives. Our hope is living because the Word of God is alive. Amen. So we have a living hope, not a dead hope. Your hope is only as good as, as, as what your hope is anchored to. If your hope is anchored to the things of this world, the temporary things of this world, it's no wonder you're so disappointed. It's no wonder you're so discouraged. It's no wonder you're so depressed because you've got your hope in something that will never, will never meet your expectations. That's why our hope doesn't need to be anchored in this world. Our hope needs to be anchored in heaven. Our hope needs to be anchored in the word of God. Amen? Because our hope is only as good as what our hope is anchored in and then he tells him this he says not only do you need to live with hope but you need to understand that that hope is going to get you through difficult times in your life and he said that that hope that you have should affect the way you live your life how many of you here this morning truly believe that Jesus is coming soon do, do we really? I know we say it. I know we sing about it. I know we preach about it. I know we read about it. I know that we talk about it. But do we really believe that Jesus is coming soon? Because if we really believe that Jesus is coming soon, it will affect the way we're living our lives right here on this earth. And when I think about holiness, here's what I believe holiness is. It's living every single day of our lives as if Jesus could come back today. If you really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, if you really believe that Jesus could come back today, I guarantee you it will affect the way that you live your life every single day, knowing that you're about to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ.
So if we say we have hope of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it should affect the way that we live our lives. And so, so listen to what Peter says here in verse 13. He said, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, now your Bible may say this, gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Gird up the loins of your mind. Well, the picture that he has here is of a man in this Middle Eastern culture who would wear this long flowing robe. And if he suddenly had to take action, that is to not just walk, but to run to a situation, what he would have to do is reach down to the bottom of his robe, pull it up, tuck it into his belt so that he could run without tripping. And that's what Paul is saying here about our thoughts. He he said that you need to gird up the loins, the thoughts of your mind. Because if you don't, your thoughts will trip you up. And your thoughts will keep you from becoming who it is that God has called you to become. And your thoughts will keep you from getting through difficult times in your life. That's why he says it this way, with minds that are alert and fully sober. A lot of people, when this crisis began, were intoxicated by their thoughts, intoxicated by fear, intoxicated by worry, intoxicated about all of those kinds of bad thoughts. And how many of you know that we will never get through a tough season in our life if we are drunk on fear? And if we are drunk on words, so he says that you've got to be alert in your mind. You've got to be sober. You've got to be thinking the right things in order to be who God's called you to be and get done what God's called you to get done. And so he says, set now, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That word grace there, guess what another word for grace is there? Favor. I just can't seem to get away from from that word in 2020, but it means favor. If you think that you have experienced the favor of God, and you have, if you're a believer here today, you've experienced God's grace, you've experienced God's mercy, you've experienced God's love, you've experienced the blessings of God, and you have experienced much of God's favor here, but it doesn't compare to the favor that you're going to receive when Jesus returns, because the Bible says, at that point, you're going to get a brand new glorified body. There's not going to be any more sickness. There's not going to be any more sorrow. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more sin. That's the kind of favor that awaits us. Oh, we ought to rejoice. So he says, set your hope on that. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And then he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, you you should be living differently now as a believer. So he says, don't conform to those evil desires. Don't go back to doing what you used to do before you met the Lord. And then he says in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, 
speaking of God. So be holy in all you do. Now, let me just say something to you right here. When you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, at that moment, your position before God became holy. Your position. You were set apart at that moment for God's plan and God's purpose. Because what's holy to God is to be used for the purpose and for the plan of God. So the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, there was that event where you were set apart and you became holy, not because of who you are, but because you're now in Christ and he's holy. But not only is it an event, it is also a process. We are not to just be holy in our position and walk around talking about, I'm holy, I'm holy. No, you should also live a holy life. Be who you are. Live according to your position. Your practice and your position should be one and the same. And so he says, be holy in all you do. In our behavior, our choices. And he says this, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. I wonder this morning, do we really hunger for holiness? Do we really hunger to be like God? Do we have a real hunger and a real thirst for the word of God? Listen to what Paul says as he moves on now in verse 22. And this is where we'll pick up with today's message. He said, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Notice he said, now that you have purified yourself. Sometimes it helps to have a little bit of an understanding of the Greek language because that statement, now that you have purified yourselves, is in the perfect tense, which means it was a once and for all thing that happened in the past that continues to bring blessing and favor into your life and consequence into your life today. And again, he's talking about that moment that you believed the gospel when it was preached, that you were a sinner in need of a savior, and you believed that, and you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior. That's what he's referring to here. You obeyed the truth. Now, later, he's going to get to the process. But right now, he's talking about the event of becoming holy. He said, now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, Paul would say it like this. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And a whole new life that we are to live is now being commanded of us. Notice, he said, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. Now, did you just notice what he just said? He said, now that you have a sincere love, love one another deeply. So that you have a sin. He's talking to a group of people who are already loving each other, yet he tells them, love each other. Again, a little bit of understanding about the Greek language will help us here. Because when you see the word love twice, it's two different Greek words. The first word for love is the word phile. 
It's the word that we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. And that's what that Greek word means. It means brotherly love. It means to have a fondness of someone. And, and, and I can be fond. I, 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 can, uh, I, I can even hang out with them because they're like me. It's a fondness based on likeness. In other words, you know, you like the same kind of music I like. You like the same kind of food I like. You, you like the same kind of, of, of TV shows that I like. You, you like the same football team that I like. There's something, there's something we can relate to. And, and because your likes are like my likes, then we can be friends. We like hanging out with each other. And that was the kind of love that they had for one another. And it was sincere. They were sincere in that love. But notice what Peter said. Peter says, now that you have been born again, he said, it's not just that kind of love, the phile love that you need to have for one another, but he said, love one another deeply. And he goes from talking about Philly love to talking about agape love, to talking about a God-like sacrificial love. In other words, he's saying, I know that you can love people who are like you. I know that you can love people who like the same kind of music and the same kind of preaching and the same kind of food and, you know, the same kind of football team and all of that. I know you can love them because they're like you, but what about people who are not like you? What about people who are different than you? And how many of you know in the body of Christ, we've got plenty of Philly love, but we don't have nearly enough agape love in the house of God. And that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying now, now that you and I have been born again, our love needs to be deeper than that. Not a manufactured love, not a hypocritical love, but it needs to be a real, genuine, God-like love that says you might be different than me, but I still love you. You might, I might not even like what you like, but I still love you, and I can still fellowship with you, and I can still worship with you, and I can still spend some time with you. That's the kind of love that the Holy Spirit of God wants to produce in each and every one of our hearts. And so he says, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. Maybe your Bible says fervently. It's an athletic term that means strive with all you've got within you. In other words, you're loving with all you got, all your strength, all your might. You're using it to love God and to love the people of God. And he says, love one another fervently. Give it all you've got. Don't hold anything back. He said, make sure you're loving from the heart. Not an insincere, manufactured, hypocritical love, but real love from the heart. The God kind of love. And, and, and then he goes on and he says this because I know what some of you are thinking right now. I can't do that. I can love people and I can like people if they're like me. But if they're different from me, I struggle with that. 
Well, that's why Peter said this. He said, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though the living, through the living and enduring word of God. You see, if you were only just born of perishable seed, I could understand that excuse. Because in our flesh, in our old nature, we can't love like that. But do you know what Peter's saying in this passage of scripture? He's saying that God has planted his seed within each and every one of those who have put their faith and their trust in him. And that seed is the living, enduring word of God. I guess what I'm trying to say to you this morning is you can be like God. You can be conformed to the image of Christ. You can love your brothers and your sisters even though they may not be like you. Why? Because the life of God is on the inside of you. God has imparted his seed. God has imparted his life within you. Somebody ought to thank God this morning for the life of God that is in us. And he says, listen, you've been born again, so stop living like you're not born again. Stop loving like you're not born again. Because you see, the great characteristic of holiness, listen to me, this is so important, but the great characteristic of holiness is love. Did you just hear what I said? The great characteristic of God is love. The great characteristic of holiness is love. Holy people, listen to me, are not mean people. Are you hearing me? Holy people are not mean people. Holy people are loving people. It's the great characteristic of holiness. And then he goes on and says, for all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. They wither and, and, and the flowers fall. We're here today, it's perishable seed. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But then notice what he says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Hallelujah. That's why my hope is in the word of God. That's why my trust is in the word of God. Because the word of God is not dead and gone. The word of God is living and abiding and the word of God is not dead. The word of God is not obsolete. The word of God is not irrelevant, but the word of God still gives life to those who will hear and respond to the word. Somebody just give God a good praise right now. And so he continues this thought as we go into First Peter chapter two, because here's what he says. He says, therefore, Kyla, what did I say about the word therefore? That when you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it there for? Anytime you see the word therefore, ask, what's it there for? And here's what it's there for. He's saying now that you understand that you have the life of God on the inside of you. And now that you understand that you have been born not of perishable but imperishable seed, not of corruptible but incorruptible seed, and now that you understand that the great characteristic of holiness is love, and he said there's some things that you need to separate yourself from because holiness is not just what we give ourselves to, it is also what we separate ourselves from. 
And he's talking here about the great characteristic of holiness being love. And he says that if you're going to love your brothers and your sisters the way that we just talked about, you're going to have to get rid of these things because you cannot love the way God loves. You cannot love the way holiness loves. You cannot love brotherly agape love and still have these kind of things in your heart. So he says, you got to get rid of them. It's a picture of somebody who has on dirty, soiled, stinking garments. And they can't wait to get those garments off. And they're stripping those garments off. He said, rid yourselves of what? Of all malice. Let me tell you what malice is. It's that old nature in us that wants harm to come to others. That old nature in us that is bent on harming other people. Maybe not with our actions, but with our words. And so he says, you've got to get rid of malice and you've got to get rid of all deceit. That's using devious words and actions to manipulate people into getting what you want. Deceiving them, making them think that your motive is one thing when your motive is another. And then he says, not only do you need to get rid of malice and deceit, but get rid of hypocrisy. How many of you saw the sign when you came in today that somebody was holding up that said, there's a smile under this mask? How many times do people come into the house of God even with a mask, playing a part, playing a role? But if you could see behind the mask, you would find maybe not a smile, but maybe a frown. Maybe a hurt, maybe a habit, maybe a hang up. Listen, it's time in the house of God that we're able to get real with one another. Take the mask off. Stop pretending to be somebody that we're not. That's what hypocrisy is. And not only that, but if you're full of malice and deceit, you don't want people to know it, so you try to cover it up. Hypocrisy. And then he talks about envy. And do you know what the word envy means in this context? Somebody got a position that I wanted. Somebody got to sing the solo that I wanted to sing. Oh, I know this is tough first day back, but it's truth. Somebody got the solo that I wanted. Somebody got to teach the class that I've been wanting to teach. Somebody got this position on the pastor's council, and I didn't get that position. Envy, jealousy that shows up with slander. Slander is all kinds of evil speaking, talking people down, trying to destroy reputations, trying to destroy character. And usually it's behind the person's back and never to their face. I'm preaching. And here's what Peter says. Peter says, going back to chapter one, that if we're gonna love from the heart, if we're gonna love fervently, then we're gonna have to get rid of these things because these things will keep us from a life of holiness. And this, these things will keep us from the characteristic of holiness, which is love. And then he goes on and he says this, like newborn babies. Now he's not, he's not by any means saying be like a newborn baby. Because he is all into spiritual maturity. But he's making a comparison here. And he says, like newborn babies, crave 
Oh, here's, here's where that title, hunger for holiness, comes from. He says, crave, yearn. I believe that Peter's favorite passage of Scripture was Psalm chapter 42 because he quotes it two or three times in this one book alone. And do you know what Psalm chapter 42 is? It's that passage that says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. And that's what Peter is saying, that you and I should have that kind of hunger and you and I should have that kind of thirst and you and I should have that kind of yearning for the word of God. He says, crave, crave it, crave pure spiritual milk. I want you to notice three things he tells us right there about the word and Tanya, you can help me here. Three things he tells us there about the word of God. Number one, he says the word of God is pure. It's not watered down. Because see, here's, here's what he would have been thinking about. He would have been thinking about a merchant in that culture that would water down milk in order to make a bigger profit. There are preachers, pastors, teachers watering down the word of God for profit. Because if I preach that kind of truth, they'll stop giving. If I preach that kind of truth, they'll stop coming. And so they water down the word for profit. I made this promise to you the first day I was here. And I continue with this promise. I will never water down God's word. That's why I think it's so important that we go through the word of God verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's not my opinion that's gonna change your life. It's the word of God when it's heard and responded to that's gonna change your life. And, and, and let me tell you something about the word of God. When he says it's pure, that word pure in the Greek is the exact opposite of the word guile that he mentioned in the scripture before. In other words, it means this. It means it has no deceit in it. The, purp the purpose of the word of God is to bring you and I face to face with the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So he said, crave pure spiritual milk. Not a watered down version of the word of God, but the pure unadulterated truth of God's word. And then he says, not only is it pure, but he says it is spiritual. Your Bible may say it like this. It is the spiritual rational word of God or spiritual rational milk. What does that mean? It's a spiritual word, but it has to be grasped with the mind. When God saved you, he didn't call you to leave your brain at the door. And if we're not careful, and I'm one of us as Pentecostals, it becomes all about feeling and emotion. And we never engage our minds. But there's only one way to receive, to grasp the word of God. Paul, Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 12. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Yes, we receive it with our minds, 
We believe it with our heart. Now listen, yes, it's dangerous. If churches are just all about feeling and emotion and no, no knowledge, that's dangerous. If a church is just all about knowledge and has no feeling or emotion, that's dangerous. We have to have a balance of the two, amen? It is the spiritual, rational word of God. Listen, get to know the word of God. Study the word of God. Read the word of God. Obey the word of God. He said crave pure spiritual milk. That means that the word of God nurtures and nourishes us. It causes us to grow because he says that you may grow up in your salvation. We have three grandsons. Our last was Luca. And every time I see one of these little infants, it amazes me how much they yearn for their mother's milk as an infant. Little Luca, cry, pitch a fit until he got his mother's milk. And that would settle him down. And do you know what? That's all the baby had for months was this mother's milk. I'm thinking that boy needs a popsicle or a hamburger or some french fries. But listen, all he needed to grow initially was milk. And that's all that you and I need to grow is the milk, the nourishment of God's word. And so he says, you need to crave it. Pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And I love this. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'll never forget. First time I had a Krispy Kreme donut. Mmm, man. Hot, right out of the oven, gooey, glazed, you know, just kind of flaky on the top. Just melt in your mouth. Oh, feel the Holy Ghost right now. Woo! When I ate that first Krispy Kreme donut, you know what my first thought was? I want another one of those. Because I had tasted, and it was good, and I wanted more. Listen, have you tasted that God is good? You've tasted of his grace. You've tasted of his mercy. You've tasted of his love. You've tasted of his kindness. And the scripture says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you should want more and more. It should create an appetite. You know, the problem with so many believers and the reason why they don't have an appetite for the word of God is because they're, they're, they're eating too much junk food. You ever had your mama tell you or you've told your kids, you're going to spoil your appetite. And too many believers are spoiling their appetite with the wrong kind of diet, feeding on the wrong kind of things. And so 
they have no appetite left for the word of God. Oh, but if you have tasted the goodness of God, if you've tasted the grace of God, if you've tasted the love of God and the kindness of God, your first thought is, I gotta have me some more. I've gotta have me some more of that. Oh God, I pray that you would create a hunger within each and every one of us today. I pray, God, that you would create a thirst and a yearning within each and every one of us today, God, for you, for your word, God, a hunger for holiness. Holy Spirit, do your work in us this morning. I'm going to ask all of you, if you would, to stand with me today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There may be somebody in this room here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer with you because I think today would be a great day for you to receive the Lord. And there may be one of these graduates that walked across the stage a little bit ago that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Listen, today would be a great day for you to receive the Lord as your Savior, your Redeemer, your Healer, your Deliverer. But then also to the believers here this morning, I want you to pray. I just want every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want you to pray, Lord. And it's okay to pray this, but if you don't have that hunger, if you don't have that yearning, if you don't have that desire, then pray and ask God to give you those desires because the Bible says that he will give you the desires of your heart. He will help you to desire him. He will help you to desire his word. He will help you to desire a life of holiness. So right now, every believer in the room, just say, Lord, create that hunger in me. Create that desire in me. May I yearn for you, oh God. May I hunger for you. May I thirst for you, Lord. Church, that's what real revival is, is when we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we begin to hunger and thirst for God and holiness, he said that if we hunger and thirst, that we shall be filled. So Father, I pray that even corporately here today, that God, you would create a hunger in this house. A hunger for your glory, a hunger for your presence, Lord. A hunger for your power, a hunger for your word, Lord. And then, Father, I pray over those today who may not know your son as their Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask everybody in this room here today to pray this prayer with me, especially those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to pray it with us. I want everybody to pray it out loud. But you got to pray it sincerely from your heart. It doesn't help to just repeat the words. you got to believe what you're saying sincerely from your heart. So pray this with me, Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came here to this earth. And you lived a sinless, perfect life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. But I also believe that three days later, you rose again 
and that you are alive today and that you're seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And Lord, I know that your word says that if I believe these things in my heart and confess them with my mouth, that I shall be saved. Lord, I believe. Lord, I confess. Now save me. Hallelujah. And do you know that the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today you've called on him. Today you've called on his name. And because of that, if you prayed this prayer for the first time today, because of that, you're now a son and daughter of God. And because of that, you're now a brother and sister in the family of God. Why don't we just give God praise this morning? Hallelujah. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.